So here with me today, co-founder and CEO at Visualize, the virtual reality production studio uh, and an author of virtual reality marketing. And most recently, he co-founded Meta. Henry Stewart, welcome. Thank you. I, I think you're one of the industry leaders in producing VR content for marketing brands and storytelling in general. Um, welcome to our show. And I think it's quite a journey for you, uh, this VR um, industry uh, and working in VR. How did it all start? It all started back in 2006. Um, I, was, I, was, I set up a company called Spherical Images originally, and I was just doing 360-degree photography. Uh, basically, I saw a QuickTime VR photo online. I just couldn't believe it. It blew my mind. I could look around a photo. I just absolutely loved it. And as a kind of budding amateur photographer, I got the kit. And I just went out there and I started shooting local um, properties, schools, whatever I could to try and make money as a panoramic photographer. And that started growing and growing. And I started getting into the more technical side of it as well. And um, I started shooting gigapixel photos, these giant high-res panos. And um, I managed to get inside St. Paul's Cathedral and get their permission to do a huge shot in there, which got picked up in about 2009 by the BBC. And that led to them commissioning me to shoot the Royal Wedding in 2011. Wow. Um, and they gave me this incredible position at the top of the, uh, this memorial outside Buckingham Palace, looking down the entire um, long street called the Mall. And I had this stunning shot where you've got the royal family coming down in all these carriages and all this pomp and ceremony and horses, but this crowd, this massive crowd of celebrities and people, and you could look in and zoom in, and that went viral. And that kind of kicked things off for me. I then got picked up by Getty Images and shot the Olympics in 2012 and became the first right. immersive photographer at the Olympics. And around that time, I started playing with the first 360-degree cameras. And um, it was thanks to Jürgen Geerds over in New York, uh, Freedom 360, he'd made the first um, kind of GoPro-based 360 cameras. And I had one of those and I was playing around with it. And I loved it, you know, and it, but it, it wasn't really like, the industry wasn't really going anywhere. We did a bit of stuff on iPads and things like that. But then of course, the Oculus Rift came along and, um, you know, a friend of mine said, oh, you've got to try this, you know, and we, I remember being pretty blown away by it, but then realizing that, all of this stuff I've been making for the last kind of six, seven years actually could be used in this headset and you can transport people into this world that I've been capturing. So you actually started without yeah. the, the purpose of one day we can see this in a headset. Yeah, that came along. It just, it just was lucky that I was doing this thing. You know, I kind of doing this thing that no one really cared about. Like, oh yeah, Henry's doing this weird 360 <laughs> stuff. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, ah, oh, Henry's the guy doing the weird 360 stuff. Let's get him in, you know, bring him into our agency and, and we'll do some, some cool VR. So that's how it started. And that was kind of 2012. And then, you know, then everything boomed, you know, for a few years after that. And um, we just kept growing and visualizing. We kept making more and more kind of marketing experiences. There's what we always found as well, it was quite interesting, was that you, you always had um, industries that would just all of a sudden topple and all of them would do it at once. It would be like this kind of sheep mentality. And we had it, I think automotive was the first one in the UK. Every automotive brand had to do something in VR. So yeah. they were all just, just like falling over themselves. That to sounds do familiar. <laughs> yeah. And then it was um, tourism and travel and tourism. Yeah. So then like all, you know, Thomas Cook, Tui, all of these companies in the UK were like, oh, okay, just quickly do some 360 for us. We need some VR. Well, I don't care what it is. Just do it, you know? Yeah. And then it would be distilleries, all the distilleries. Every distillery in Scotland suddenly <laughs> had a 360 tour. Um, and it just kept going, you know, and it was, it was great fun, you know, a real laugh. 
And then uh, yeah, because yeah. I, because because I remember Visualize like one of the pioneering agencies in the UK, but even in the world, mm. because at a certain point you were you were even shooting like launch content for the Gear VR. Uh, back yeah. in the days, you worked with Google. Yeah, that's right. We um, you know, we we we're quite lucky like that. I think because we were so there so early. Um, you know, we we kind of founded as Visualize in 2011, 2012, and. Being there quite early, being quite kind of prolific in the amount of work we were outputting meant that we just stayed up in Google's rankings. We stayed under, you know, under people's noses, and we kept getting really interesting jobs. And so, yeah, we worked with Google. And um, Google, it's funny, we're, they're often behind a lot of the big projects that we do. Like, we'll do a job for the Red Cross, and then kind of, you know, a few months into production, someone will be like, oh, yeah, the Google guy's going to come. And you're like, what, who's, who's that? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Google's paying for this whole thing. You're like, oh, no way, I didn't know that. Like, they're, you know, they're behind a lot of the projects that we do. And we did stuff with Facebook as well, actually. You know, we're in, uh, in Holland now, and it was the, um, the Van Gogh Museum uh, that we did a big project for with Facebook, where they wanted to bring together all of the sunflowers um, paintings into one room. And they'd never really been in the same physical room. So we built a virtual museum had perfect scans of these paintings, perfect 3D models done of the frames, which are actually just as important almost as the paintings now. And then uh, had his, his great-grandson or his great-grandnephew uh, or great-great one um, talking about him, about the works, and you could kind of explore them in VR. That was a Facebook project. Um, yeah, and so, you know, since then, we've, we've continued doing marketing, entertainment work, and yeah, we've got to where we are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what were the biggest challenges that you faced in terms of hardware, for example, and software? The, the biggest challenges for us in terms of hardware, I mean, it's, it, it always kind of comes down to the, the kind of uh, the quality of the picture in a VR headset. Uh, I mean, first of all, yeah, because if it, you come from a gigapixel photo... Yeah, exactly. Like We always wanted to get that really beautiful visual clarity. And, and as a photographer, you know, I was always very obsessed by uh, quality of, of light capture, you know, how good low light and how good highlights are. You know, I, I came from a background shooting for Nikon where I had raw images all the time and, and a huge amount of scope in post to, you know, often save things or whatever. And we didn't have that same flexibility. I mean, filmmaking is already a bit more restricted, but then 360 filmmaking even more so. Because the big issue is always sensor sizes and lens sizes, and you tend to get kind of very compressed, horrible-looking um, footage out of most 360 cameras as soon as you go into anywhere dark. I mean, all of the cameras love a lot of light. Your GoPro loves a lot of light, and you know a lot of the other 360 cameras do. But as soon as they go into the dark, they start to fall to pieces. Okay. And, uh, well, that's where that's where we started thinking about meta camera. Um, what we used to do to get around this was we'd get. Um, two Panasonic GH5Ss, and you'd, you'd, you'd put them back to back, you'd get some big Japanese HAL 250 glass lenses, these huge, wonderful looking um, fisheye lenses, and you'd make this kind of hacked rig, and you'd have to time code sync it, and it was a big heavy thing, and we dangled them from drones sometimes, but like, you know, the, the drone guys were you know, very scared to fly them. <laughs> um, and, and we thought there's gotta be a better way. Um, and so we, there wasn't, so we, we made it. We, we so you create your, so, so you recently started a new venture. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we recently started this new venture, Meta Camera, um, with the express aim of making cameras for cinematographers and DOPs that want to create and capture the kind of beautiful content you're used to making in 16 by 9 filmmaking okay. without restrictions. Um, and also not to be doing what a lot of the camera manufacturers are doing at the moment and chasing pixels. You know, who cares about a 10K rig 
uh, when you know there's barely any computers that can even play that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's barely any headsets that can play that. So we were really focused on per pixel quality and dynamic range. And okay. the Meta camera, um, it's only 5.5K, but it's 5.5 glorious sharp K, and it looks stunning. And you know you can shoot in the most dramatic situations. You can have mist in rooms and light pouring in windows and capture the detail in the shadows, and it's crisp, it looks lovely. Okay. And it's been really exciting here at VR Days to actually sit people down and show them that, you know, yeah. and um, talk them through the reasoning behind the camera. And, and we've been absolutely mobbed at the stand. Yeah, so actually you put like eight, eight, eight years or, or even nine years of experience into that camera. Is yeah. there also something that you came up with like in terms of uh, the, the post-production workflow? Yeah, so in terms of, you're right, in terms of the um, time we spent kind of put into the camera, I think one of the, the key mantras we've got with the meta camera is that it's made by VR professionals for VR professionals, you know? We, there's no hyperbole with it. We do, it's built exactly for professionals, you know, for people who are making this content and struggling day to day with this stuff. So, I, is it, yeah, we've got big bugbears with having to pull out kind of six or eight cards from a camera. It's a, it's a huge pain. So, um, we, you know, two lens system like ours, not only is it incredibly easy to stitch with one stitch line just between the two lenses, um, but just two cards. So, you know, you pull out your CFast cards, um, we, you, you load them into Mystica, Mystica VR by SGO, and we've got a preset for it. Okay. It's just a click and apply, and it's instantly really, really nice. Like, there's very, very little work you need to do with it. And this is moving camera stuff, it can be static camera stuff, it's hugely flexible. Um, but yeah, with modern optical flow, um, these kind of cameras are absolutely um, the best way to go. Okay, and what's, what, what are the plans actually? Are you going to rent it out, uh, try to sell it? Yeah, we're, we're selling them um, and we're renting them. And um, even uh, sell services with it like? Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, we, you know, we'll, we'll, rent the, we'll do dry hire and wet hire, so we'll rent them with or without people. Um, and we're also shipping them around the world. We've already sold 10 cameras right around the world now. Okay. And um, we've got uh, a lot of interest also from the live streaming community because a lot of gigs that are live streamed are inherently low light and the other cameras aren't holding up. Okay. So if you put some of these cameras around a, a low light situation, they've got a very forgiving kind of stitch seam as well. So the whole front kind of 200 degrees of view is completely clean of any stitching whatsoever. And so if you put it on the front of the stage and the artist is leaning forwards or even leaning over the top of the lens, you'll still capture them. And that's quite a unique experience. And what's your answer to uh, critics who are um, arguing that like 360 video is not VR? Uh, and then if it's stereoscopic, it could be VR, mm -hmm. but if it's monoscopic? Yeah, so I mean, it's I'm a, a huge fan of 360 video, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no, for me, it's a completely moot point, like whether or not 360 videos are VR. Like, if you put a headset on and you watch a 360 film and you're immersed in it and you're enjoying it, you're using a VR headset. I couldn't care less if you call it VR or not. It's <laughs> it's a cool experience, you it's know. True. I mean, I do. I think it's a virtual reality video or a virtual reality film. Um, but then, you know, some people get hung up on those details. Not for us, really. Like, um, you know, I think mono as well. The thing is, okay, stereo does have a sense of kind of magic to it. I love stereoscopic footage when it's done well, but it's so much stereo is, is very poor. And yeah. if you, the thing is, if you just throw a stereoscopic camera into something like Mystica, 
you don't necessarily get a good stereoscopic output from it. You really need to know your stuff. You know, there's, there's a huge amount of knowledge that went into the whole 3D video world. You know, there's a, it's a very exact science, and it can also disorientate and make people feel quite queasy when it's not right. So it's really, really hard to get, to, to get right on a, on a budget. I agree. Um, so for us, we just wanted to focus, first of all, on the mono side. Also, for us, you know, if we start doing a stereoscopic camera, we've got to massively multiply the number of sensors and lenses and so on that we put on the camera. And to do that, we'd need to know there's a justifiable market. And at the moment, we're finding that we're getting much more interest, actually, from the kind of simpler setup that we have and a very premium and quality uh, outlook in terms of the, the footage um, rather than a desire for stereoscopic. And I think that's actually also reflecting the way the industry's grown or changed. I think originally the focus in 2014, 2015, Palmer Lucky on the front page of Time magazine, everyone wants everything to be on a headset. Everything has to be stereoscopic. And now the reality is the vast majority of our clients are watching footage on social, on mobile phones, on stuff like that. And the VR now is the bonus. It's flipped. And that's why for us, stereoscopic is a secondary thing. Something we still love is something we'll still develop at some point. We'll make a camera for it, but we need to have enough interest first. Yeah, I agree. And from a business perspective, you were you were running like a service-oriented company. Yeah. And now you are also running a product business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. How do you how how different is the approach? Um, well, first of all, when we built the Meta camera, we always knew it was going to be like um, no risk for us because. We're going to use the camera ourselves. True. So we don't sell the camera once. We don't rent it once. We're happy. We've got this beautiful camera, and we're using it on all our productions. Clients are delighted. Um, so now for us, it's just about, right, well, you know, we're using this all the time. We love it. Let's see who else does. And, and you know, the, the reaction to it has been incredible, and, and the amount of interest is, is crazy. Yeah. Um, so you're, uh, like we were discussing earlier, you're, you've been around for quite a while now in the yeah. VR industry. Uh, and I always like to refer to the Gartner hype cycle uh, when, I, when I talk about our industry yep. uh, and where we are today uh, in the industry. How did you experience that bumpy ride so far? Yeah, it was really bumpy, I've got to say. I mean, it's really, it's, it's amazing because the Gartner hype cycle, when you look at other products, you're talking decades or, you know, something like that. But it was unbelievable how quick it was with VR. I mean... It was, it was, if it was at the beginning of its graph in 2013 or something like that, it then shot up in 2014, 2015, just kept being hype, 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 crashed in, I think, kind of mid-2016 yeah. in a big way. And at that point, though, of course, what had happened in the UK and probably in other markets is that not only had um, there been a huge swell in the amount of people interested in VR, but also there'd been a massive swell in the number of people that crowded into the industry to sell VR. Yeah. So we suddenly had, when things started to crash in terms of the interest in 2016, we had like five times more competitors than we had the year before. So then it became... The gold diggers. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's the, San, you know, it's the 49ers, you know, the VR 49ers. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everyone dropped their prices. It was a race to the bottom. Um, and it was tough, you know, in the UK, everybody, you know, everyone who'd put VR at the end of their name yeah. had to start getting the rubber out and rubbing it out and yeah. kind of changing their names. And everyone became an XR company. Yeah. Everyone started doing <laughs> AR stuff, Yeah. Um, you know, and diversifying or going back to their roots of just doing TV or films or, you know, gaming, whatever it was they were doing. Um, but, you know, Visualize has been lucky, as I mentioned earlier, we, because of our early positioning and, you know, People always find us still, and the remaining work out there, it still comes to us. And we've, we've got a lot of really good partners as well, like some, some of the top 
post-production houses in the world come to us to help them with the VR side of things. And, you know, we've got great relationships because we've been doing content for a while. So we've got clients who come back to us for stuff. So it's been very tough out there. It certainly wasn't a continuation of just growth. There was a real crash and we felt that too. But we've seen the market recover. We've seen it stabilize. And, you know, I think, I don't think it's plateauing. I think it's growing. Yeah. But I think there's a no obvious way it's growing. Like, I don't know, like, if it's going in one direction or another. I don't know how much mixed reality is helping it. I don't know how much is colored by AR. Do you think we, we escaped the trough already? I think we are, we're coming out of the trough. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the markets, that, you know, that that line isn't one continuous line. I think that line is split off in a lot of different directions. I think it's split off into healthcare. It's split off into education. It's split off into industrial. It's split off into entertainment. And they've all got their own different trajectories. I mean, I think you could say that VR for healthcare, VR for training are probably, you know, really in boomtown now. You know, they're really going fast. I think entertainment VR is only going to be hitting its straps when people start As a, at a consumer level, having a reasonable number of headsets. I don't think that's going to happen for a long, long time. For me, I think that mixed reality headsets or augmented reality glasses are going to be the stepping stone to mass uptake in VR. And I don't think we're going to see that for a decade. Yeah, no, probably not. Mm. Probably not. So uh, to wrap it all up, what was your like your most memorable experience or production that you ever did? I think our most memorable one is probably one we did for EE the big telecoms company in the UK, to promote their 5G network. We, um, we were contacted like just about a month before the FA Cup final, which was at Wembley. Um, and uh, there was a crazy amount of ideas from Saatchi and Saatchi, their agency, and from EE themselves about what they could do. And we would just race against the clock to try and do a number of things. And this is what we managed to do in the end. So in the 90 minutes of that match we were streaming from multiple cameras around the, the pitch. Uh, also from um, a boy in the crowd with a little mobile-based 5G camera. Um, he was streaming to his grandpa, who was in uh, Manchester, couldn't make it to the match. And his grandpa could choose between that camera with his grandson, or he could choose between any number of six cameras around the pitch. At the same time, we had a community pitch in East London, whereby there was a a big block of flats overlooking it. And all these kids could stand there in the block of flats and hold up their phones to the pitch. And overlaid on that live would be Wembley taking over the pitch. So it was like an augmented reality wow. live view in 4K of Wembley. And they could pinch to zoom into it and everything. At the same time as that, during that 90 minutes, Kevin Bacon is in a pub and he's able to walk into a portal through the tunnel and stand on the pitch at Wembley. So that all happened within that 90 minutes and it all took a month to develop it all. Whoa. Can we, can, can we see the, the case yeah, study somewhere yeah, online? Yeah. If you go onto our website, onto the work section, you'll find it. Um, you know, it's the EE 5G case study and you can watch the TV advert. Yeah. But the amazing thing is because people watch that advert and um, no one thought it was real. Like they're like, yeah, it's just fake, isn't it? You know, <laughs> it didn't happen, but it did. It did through blood, sweat and tears. That all happened. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Henry, for this very interesting conversation. Uh, not at all. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.